Hi Neighbor. I'm Jody Jackson, host of the Hi Neighbor podcast. Hi Neighbor. I'm Scott Clardy. I'm an assistant director at Columbia Boone County Public Health and Human Services. Hi Neighbor. I'm Stephanie Browning. I'm director of Public Health and Human Services for the City of Columbia and Boone County. And I want to thank Scott and Stephanie for joining Hi Neighbor this morning uh, for this conversation. We call the podcast Hi Neighbor because uh, the world is, is a very small place. You know, it, it, we called it that 30 years ago. You run into somebody, and especially with technology, 10, 20 years ago. You find out, oh, we've got more in common than we knew. Boy, world, it sure is a small world. And there's something about a global pandemic that really brings that out at this point. It really is a small world. And I had people walking by in front of my house who would wave and say, hi, neighbor. And I would shout back at them and, oh, are you new to the neighborhood? And they say, no, and they live four houses down. We've never spoken. And so, yeah, so uh, we, I, I, I tried to have the concept, really, we're all neighbors. And maybe that might also help us treat each other with a little bit more uh, gentleness and civility. Um, I spoke just real briefly uh, with Scott, Stephanie, before you came on. I said, so how are things there on Worley Street? And he says, well, they're really busy. And uh, he made the comment that during the H1N1 uh, pandemic a few years back, it was, it was busy then, but not quite like this. Uh, Stephanie, can you sort of give some context to that just in terms of resources in staffing now compared to then? Well, you know, that was quite a few years ago and, and we've been very fortunate right now to have funding from the Boone County Commission through the CARES Act to bring on some additional contacts, tracers, case investigators, health educators, um, communicable disease specialists. So we've added about 40 new people, which has been fantastic and is starting to pay off. but. You know, if you think about it, during H1N1, we, we're pretty much operating today with the same number of staff that we had back then, maybe even a few less. I mean, we have not added staff over the years. We're, we're a very lean organization in terms of, like, and if you look at how many people we have per capita, you know, we're a very lean organization. So coming into a pandemic at a time when you don't have an excess of employees has really been a challenge. And, and that was 2009, is that correct? Right, right. Okay, and just to give a, a little more context here then, that was 2009, 2010. Stephanie, you might recall, I came back from a week at the CDC. I was part of the uh, Midwest Journalism Fellowship uh, for Health Journalism. Uh, and part of that was giving us kind of a boot camp crash course with about a week at the CDC and uh, listening to Dr. Frieden at the time, the, the director there. And I'll, ne I'll never forget, and it really set me on fire really for health journalism. Uh, when he told our group of journalists, there were about eight or 10 of us, and he said, you know, uh, the story of, uh, of public health, when it's successful, it's not really all that sexy because it's the story of the dog not barking in the night. And, you know, we all kind of looked at each other and, huh, it, we, you kind of instantly understood what that was, but it really was a little bit of a deeper meaning. Because uh, when things are going well, nobody notices. And uh, there you are at your shop on Worley Street, 
you know, going about your business. And, and I want to talk later about all of the, the, the breadth of services that uh, the local health department offers and provides. But when I came back and I shared that with you and uh, Sarah Rainey, I think was with uh, the epidemiologist then and some others, everybody was kind of nodding their heads. Yes, that's exactly right. And uh, the dog not barking in the night, it isn't the case right now because there's a there's a dog barking very loudly. What I wonder and am concerned about, and, and I'm going to guess you share this, this, this dog has been barking so long, so loudly, that people get used to it. And uh, you're suddenly like, well, maybe it's not that big of a deal. Maybe, um, maybe it's, it's not that serious. Um, Scott, can you kind of take it from there and, and you know, talk about the, the dog barking in the night, the COVID-19 and uh, seriousness compared to now compared to, you know, six, seven months ago? Yeah, that's a good question. So I, I would say that you're right, that uh, there's a large portion of the community that's experiencing COVID fatigue. And, um, you know, they, they are tired of not being able to live their lives the way they want to. Believe me, everybody at the health department feels exactly the same way. Um, but the fact of the matter is that, you know, when, when, when the pandemic started in, in, in Columbia or in Boone County back in March, we knew very little about this virus and, and we learn more every day. And quite frankly, the more we learn, the more frightening it gets. Um, we're seeing uh, studies coming out now that have indicated everything from uh, there is a potential for, for reinfection. Um, and uh, the studies aren't clear, but it, there, it appears that those, as though there's a potential anyway to have, to have um, you know, serious uh, symptoms, even with a reinfection. But I think the more concerning thing is that we are seeing uh, evidence that uh, some people may have long-lasting health impacts, longer-lasting health impacts. We don't know how long yet because we're still learning about it. It's still happening. But even among younger people, we're seeing things like cases of my myocarditis and, and that type. And when I say we, I mean the you know the, the mm -hmm. scientific community worldwide is is starting to see this. And so, it is still something that is. Um, very scary. The more we learn about, just because in, in Boone County we've only had seven deaths doesn't mean that it's nothing to worry about. It's very definitely something to worry about. And uh, that's why we continue to work so hard. And, uh, you know, we find out more every day and it's always concerning what we find out. Well, Stephanie, the, uh, let, let's talk too about the chronology of this if we can. Again, I don't want to rush through this, but I want to get also to the dashboard that you have, the hub of information and talk about what those numbers mean, how we should interpret those, how maybe the experts interpret them compared to how John Q. Public interprets them. Uh, but uh, the, the county's first case was when, and, and let me also ask, had that been anticipated? Uh, Scott says, we're learning more about it. It was new then. When the first case came about, was that something that y'all were just kind of sitting, holding your breath, waiting for? Well, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you a story from last night. So we had our first Board of Health meeting last night since March 12th. So it's been that long since we've met together. And as we were going through the minutes and from that meeting to for the board to approve, uh, our chair, Mari Scala, pointed out that in, in my director's report that night, I had said that 
St. that we were we had been monitoring for weeks the outbreak of coronavirus and that St. Louis had had its first case and Springfield had already had a case and that we were watching. And I think like literally we got our first case the next day. Wow. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, you know, what a flash from the past just last night to, to think it feels like an eternity ago, you know. Yeah. But, you know, it took us... Um, I think it took us to get up to a hundred cases. It was probably 55 days or so, you know, after that first case. And then, you know, 52 days later, we were at 500 cases. And, um, you know, we just, we, we saw spikes starting after Mother's Day weekend. We saw another one that came after Memorial Day. Um, you know, again, after Father's Day, uh, 4th of July, you know, just, and as people got out and about in the summer and, you know, gathered with friends and traveled and did, you know, our numbers have gone up. And of course, since August 1st, you know, that's like traditionally that weekend is move-in weekend here for students living off campus. A lot of times they start moving in that weekend. And since then our cases have just really continued to increase. Well, and let's look at, in just a minute at what the numbers are right now, the, the latest reporting. But uh, first, help, help, help me understand, because, you know, I spend a little time on social media, and uh, the seems like there's the two prevailing thoughts are, hey, we need to really just listen to the experts, let the experts be the experts, follow the guidance. And then there's this other one that's maybe driven by COVID fatigue, uh, maybe by the the incredible political polarization of all this um, that well okay so you said a hundred cases went to 552 days the people weren't dying the hospitals weren't overwhelmed there wasn't a shortage of ventilators uh, we talked about well let's flatten the curve so the hospitals aren't overwhelmed and here we are six seven months later um, there's still not this uh, scourge of deaths. Hospitals right. are still operating within, you know, reasonable uh, capacity. Uh, so it's it's easy then, isn't it, for the public to say, well, what's what's the big deal? Let us all get about our lives. How, how do you respond to that? Well, I mean, we are blessed here to have an amazing healthcare system that has worked really well together, um, and they are on regular communication with each other, um, looking at how many cases, what's happening, you know, so they're, they're not at their, they're not at their capacity. They haven't had to scale back procedures or, you know, they've managed what they've had, but you know, we've had, um, 70 hospitalizations, I think 70 or 71 to date. Um, but I think yesterday all hospitals have 52 cases. We're not their only source of of hospitalizations. It comes from all the catchment counties in our area. And, you know, if you, um, yes, hospitalizations are a very important factor. And if they ever had to scale back, that would be a great cause for concern. But, you know, when you think about it, if somebody for every case is, say that I have an employee that tests positive, they're going to be out of work for 10 days, right? That's 10 days that I, that my employee is not able to work. Some, some employees aren't like us, blessed with sick leave benefits and things like that. They are missing out on income, maybe on having the ability to make rent. Um, I mean, you know, it's hard on employers to manage their workforce when they have employees out. And then if there's, if they've had multiple contacts in the workplace setting, 
now those contacts are in quarantine for 14 days. I mean, it's not just, it's not just the hospitalizations. It's, there's a very big picture that you have to look at. And, and Scott, uh, could I, could I add to that just a little bit? Please. Couple, couple things on the hospitalizations. In March, all we had to base our, our, the experience on was what had happened in China. And we saw hospitals totally overrun very quickly to the point that they were building new hospitals as fast as they could. But also because it, we, we had that experience, we were able to be much better prepared than China was when it hit. And so I think that's one of the other reasons that, that maybe we, um, we didn't have as many hospitalizations with, was, I mean, we were prepared. We knew more about what to expect about, um, you know, things like stay at home orders and, and, and how infectious this was. And then lastly, I would just mention too, that I think one of the reasons we haven't seen as many hospitalizations as perhaps what had been seen in other parts of the state or in the country is because our cases have been predominantly uh, young and they don't seem to get as sick and need as acute of care as um, people who are older and, and, and get the, get the uh, virus. So I, I just would throw that in there too as a hospital, as Stephanie said it, hospitalizations are important, but there are a lot of other issues going on here that, that you know, are economic and social beyond health issues. So. Well, and I hear frequently, and I'm, I'm sure you do too, you know, people say, well, there've only been X right. number of deaths. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know, Seems callous to me. What's that? Seems very callous to me. There's only been. Oh, it seems yeah. uninformed. Very uninformed. Okay. So. Okay. Well, are there's are only so many hospitalizations, and uh, you know, then then you get into the politi the, the politicization and the polarization, and the uh, people questioning, well, can we even believe what the CDC's numbers are? Can we believe what the testing is? I know early on there was a spread like wildfire, the uh, rumor, the myth that, you know, uh, people were being tested multiple times, reported multiple times, uh, that the antigen tests, the antibody tests were being counted as active cases, and that wasn't the case. Um, so, Scott and Stephanie, both of you would respond, you know, I see the numbers, I look at the dashboard, I see the hub. Uh, what should be my takeaway as the John Q. public, you know, um, when, I, when I see that, how should I interpret that? What should it mean to me? And how can I help others understand that in its full context? Scott, you want to start? Yeah, sure. So I think when you look at our hub as you know, comprehensively, what you need to realize is, or what, you, what the takeaway message is, is that we are seeing uh, extreme uh, increase in cases, a significant increase in cases on a daily basis. And it is primarily among our younger age groups, the, specifically the 10 to 19 year old age, year age groups and the 20 to 24 year old age groups, and even more specifically, the 18 to 22 year olds. We're seeing significant increases in there. And that if you look at the numbers closely, I think you'll see that um, there is starting to be some more increase in some of the other age groups, but we think that could very definitely be related to the increase that we're seeing in the younger people, because those younger people don't just stay on campus. Most of them don't even live on campus, and they're out, you know, eating in our restaurants and shopping in our shops and working in our employers' uh, places of business. And so, you know, you see, you see a lot of disease transmission as a result of those kinds of things. So 
yes, it's mostly in our younger group, but it, we have a huge concern about the impact that's having on the rest of the community. Um, and uh, I mean, that would be that would be my takeaway from all the data combined, uh, plus the fact that we're seeing an increase in counties around us too. Maybe not at the rate that we're seeing it here, but it is increasing other places. So. Yeah, and and I would say you know yes, we know we have this big spike in cases in that age group that talk, that, talk, that Scott referenced, but um, you know we're also seeing some of our school age kids those numbers going up in the county and you know they start they're not even back columbia public's not even back in school but even in other schools you know as they've come back they've had to have some little pauses here and there and and so you know the other thing um i think people don't think about is just how like when you talk about the mode of transmission and, and you'll see there's a lot of contacts to a case and and early on you know our very earliest cases were almost all travel Right, and then it started to shift. We started to have some community transmission, and as that picked up, then we started having contacts to cases. And and you know, it seems like when you've got a case in the house, um, you have to. It's really really hard to not spread to others in the household. It's um, whether it's a family member, or whether it's a college roommate. Um, it it takes the the people I know that have done it well have really had like at a whole separate level of the house where there was absolutely no interaction. So, you know, I think that mode of transmission is really important to keep an eye on. And when, when you talk about the, the mode of transmission, uh, fall coming about, college kids, uh, the, the college population coming back, uh, and now schools starting, some are kind of staggered starting. Of course, Columbia Public School has this, uh, is, is totally online right now. Um, I mean, this this wasn't a surprise to anyone, right? I mean, it, it, we knew this was coming, and uh, there were there was talking about it for months. Okay, you know, and I remember uh, when the uh, mask ordinance, the mask mandate, was being debated and and watching uh, that conversation online of uh, the, the Columbia City Council uh, having that conversation and all of the public input. One of the big points of that whole conversation was, well, we need to get this in place before August 1, before the college students come back so that this maybe can become part of uh, our, our way of doing things here. Um, and you know, I've been downtown a few times uh, driving through, you know, I'm not down there socializing, uh, but uh, I, I've seen a lot of masks being worn. Uh, I, I, I hear other reports, you know, I went to the mall and there was nobody wearing a mask. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been through there uh, just for morbid curiosity for one time. Everybody in there was masked. Um, but when it comes to the, the mask ordinance and the, the great debate on masks, uh, people will look at the current transmission and case rate and it's going up and they say, well, the masks aren't working. Right. Uh, so, and, and someone will inevitably go back and say, well, you know, back in March or April, the CDC was saying we don't even need to wear masks, and here we are wearing masks. Government's just trying to control us. Uh, where, how, how do you respond to all that? Uh, get through the noise to say, well, this is the science. This is the best practice. This is what we need to do. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, we're an agency that's always focused on prevention. That's at our core. Right. And so, you know, 
social distancing, wearing a mask, washing your hands, staying home when you're sick, you know, avoiding the gatherings. Those are all layers of protection and prevention. And so when I hear that, you know, well, every time that there's an increase in cases, somebody will inevitably send me an email and say, well, I guess the masks are really working. But what would they be if we weren't wearing the mask? Mm-hmm. Instead of a 221 case day, would it have been 500? You know, right. I don't know, but it's it's the best prevention we have. Okay. And I would just add, too, that uh, you're right, Jody. Earlier in the pandemic, we didn't think um, the uh, masks were effective. But as I mentioned earlier, we learn more every day. And as time passed and we learned more, we found out that we, that was not correct. Once we had better information, more complete science, uh, studies with better statistical power, we were able to determine that masks do help after all. And so we changed that. Um, I think that I would not be surprised if we don't continue to see those kinds of recommendations evolve as we learn more. People have just got to get used to that. You know, that, um, that when something is novel, by definition, that means it's new and we don't know a whole lot about it. So we learn more every day. Well, and I know I had a conversation with someone on, on Facebook and uh, actual conversation, not one of these things, you know, people are throwing nuclear bombs at each other. Yeah. And uh, I was talking about, well, I, as I understand, this is why, you know, what I, I, I asked the question, what would it be without the masks? And they came back to me and said, well, I guess they'll, they'll want us to do this uh, for influenza too. Uh, and I came back and I said, that sounds like a good idea to me. <laughs> well, because when I, good job. well, I am highly susceptible to influenza for whatever reason. Uh, my influenza at eight o'clock in the morning, by 8 PM is pneumonia just because of, I have a scar tissue in a lung that never causes any problem. You wouldn't ever know is there. But if I uh, rake up wet leaves or get into moldy leaves or stuff like that, or if I get influenza, uh, I, I'm in I'm in trouble. I get in I get pneumonia and I've not been hospitalized for it, but that's me. And I'm diabetic now, so uh, I'm in that high risk group. Uh, I understand from a lot of research I've done on my own how this how COVID specifically affects diabetes and how it exacerbates uh, glucose problems and tissue problems and, and renal, you know, uh, kidney things. Uh, but when I, when I go into the store a year ago, this is before all this, I, I always, uh, I tried to wash my hands and take the sanitizer and hold it onto the cart handle as I was going through the store because I didn't want to get influenza. And for me personally, if uh, wearing a mask then gives me an extra layer of protection or the, for the people around me, better protection, then, then I'm, I'm going to do that. And um, I don't think it's because I've caved into some uh, conspiratorial government cabal that wants to control my life. Who wants to? For you. Oh, for you. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if that needs a follow-up. I mean, um, you know, the, the issue with wearing masks is about protecting other people from yourself. That's when it comes to um, COVID, it, it, it may provide you some protection too, but the primary reason for doing it is protecting other people from yourself. You may have the virus and not even know it. So. Yeah, and it's just such an easy thing. I mean, it's, there's nothing hard about putting a mask on. 
Well, March the 25th, a stay-at-home order was enacted. Mm -hmm. Since then, there have been a few uh, public health orders, uh, probably the most controversial of which was the mask ordinance uh, from July. Uh, I think that's when that yeah. was enacted. Yeah. City Council. Yeah. yeah. So the, the stay-at-home order came and immediately, uh, you know, for that time and through April, local businesses began to suffer uh, immensely and still do. And when the mask ordinance went into effect, uh, I think there were a few businesses downtown, especially that just kind of said, well, this is the last straw. We can't do this anymore. Uh, Stephanie, you were asked at the, uh, one of the most recent news conferences uh, or gatherings, a reporter, I think it was a reporter who asked you, uh, who, who asked you, do, uh, do you, did you workshop these, this latest uh, order, which uh, tells businesses to start closing by nine and to be completely closed by 10. Last calls at nine. Last calls at nine. They said, did you workshop this with the local businesses? And I kind of had to scratch my head because I thought, well, when has, when have public health orders ever been determined by kind of taking a, a poll or a survey of, right. of the businesses? Uh, and then I see others, you know, they say, well, there's just been a complete lack of leadership here. And I know you've seen that and uh, I don't know, it just makes you cringe or at this point you just shake your head. How do you respond to that level of criticism and knowing that this has been devastating on the local economy? Yeah. Um, well, in regards to the last order, um, when we were seeing those cases climb so fast and we were seeing getting complaints about crowded bars and no social distancing. And, and we were getting pictures of them. Pictures too. being sent to us. And I mean, people, I mean, and we were coming up on another weekend. I thought we just cannot, this just cannot keep happening, you know? Um, and I mean, we're already at a point where our schools were saying they weren't going to open up online. And I'm like, we've got to, we've got to push this down. And so, no, I, you know, normally I don't go get the pulse of businesses before I do an order. I always talking to different groups and businesses. Um, but, you know, you can't let that dictate what's right for public health. And I always try to think about the economic impacts and all of that. I certainly never want to have to go back to doing a stay at home order because that was really hard. Not, it was hard on all aspects. But um, so, yeah, I mean, I think what I've tried to do with the last orders is trying to give people like five days notice. And this one, I didn't, I mean, it went into effect immediately. Mm -hmm. So, so that really, that really sort of caught them on their heels. And I, I feel bad for that, but I felt like it was needed, you know? Well, what about uh, the, the businesses that say, hey, we're following the orders. We're keeping social distancing. We're insisting on masks and so on. You know, why not just penalize those that are uh, not complying? And I don't know if that's generally true or if it was kind of like everybody was out of compliance. Uh, no, I think, I think you're absolutely right. Um, there are a lot that have, there are a lot of businesses that have really tried to space things out, do things right, and um, 
I think that as we think about, and that was one of the things at our last city council meeting that the mayor asked our, our city councilor um, was, you know, would it be possible to just go after, like pull a business license when somebody's not complying? And it, I don't think it's all that easy. I mean, her answer to that didn't make it sound like they could just say, okay, you know, you, you're not going to get your business, your business license is pulled and suspended for the next four days or five days or didn't sound like it was all that easy to do. Okay. But, yeah. And um, Jody, I would say, I'm sorry, Stephanie, did I interrupt you? No. Nope. Okay. I would say that, that we have uh, penalized uh, some of the businesses that are bad actors. Uh, our website lists places that have it been issued notices of violation and, um, and violations. And so if, you know, and then from that point on, it's up to the city prosecutor to determine if he wants to file charges and then it goes to municipal court. And I know he's done that on at least a couple of these. And so um, we, we try to do that where we can clearly show uh, a defensible case that they did violate uh, the order. So, so we have done that. You know, the interesting thing, a lot of people, um, like as we had the restrictions on hours, one of my worries was that we were going to see an increase in the number of house parties and things like that going on. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the complaints for those have not gone up. Really? Yeah, which is really interesting to me. I'm well, glad. I'm very glad. <laughs> you know, I, I remember because I'm on the uh, nextdoor.com uh, site, you know, where neighbors are kind of watching out for each other. And I think that's generally pretty civil and it's useful, yeah. valuable. But I know way back in this is probably, you know, April, early April, uh, somebody had said, hey, the police just showed up at my house because somebody had called and said we were having a big party or something. And it was just the, the three or four people who live there having a, a cookout on their back deck. And, and somebody made the comment that, well, it's so quiet now that, you know, somebody two blocks over may be hearing something that they wouldn't have heard otherwise. And that's something that we had noticed, maybe not quite to the extent now, but uh, the, there was less noise. There was less, com you know, uh, commotion. And I don't know, I, I kind of took that as a, a positive thing. And I sure don't want to say that to undermine or minimize someone's pain. Uh, you know, because I was telling Scott before you joined us, Stephanie, that, you know, I try to be really cognizant of the fact that Kelly and my wife and I have not experienced this the same way that a, a large majority of people have. We don't have kids at home. You know, we have our own businesses. We can work from home. Um, we have been able to just by natural uh, means avoid uh, some of the real challenges that other people are having. So, right. And I sure don't want anybody to, to misinterpret my comments and my uh, comments to you that, you know, I, we're without empathy or compassion for those people because uh, those are our neighbors and yeah. that community. And uh, it, it's, you know, I, I think now it's even cliche to say, well, it's unprecedented because this has gone on for so long. Um, so we, we talked a little bit about how we got here and what's going on now. Um, when do you have a, a forecast, a magic ball, uh, uh, that that would say uh, w when we're going to be post-COVID and what that might look like. When are we going to be past this? 
I wish I had a magic ball. I mean, even like, let's assume that we get a vaccine sometime in the near future, right? By the time they make enough vaccine to um, get it out there, like, you know, probably what will happen is limited vaccine supply will come out and it will go just like H1N1 to certain segments, you know, be prioritized populations. By the time you've actually manufactured enough vaccine and have it readily available for anyone, it could be, you know, it could be. At least next spring. That's what I was gonna say, you know. And then, and then you know, hopefully it's an effective vaccine, but you know, every year you need to get a flu shot, right? And I mean, it's recommended, you don't have to, but yeah. we recommend it. Yeah. But you know, some vaccines you get, um, you know, you you develop a good immune response and it lasts with you for a long time before waning. And we don't know how this one will be. So, I mean, I think we're always going to have to be mindful. You yeah. know? COVID is here now and it's going to stay here. Okay. It's not going to go anywhere. It's not going to go away. Just like H1N1 it never went away. It's just, you see that, um, at least I've seen it in every flu vaccine since 2009. H1N1 is the predominant strain or one of the predominant strains. So COVID's gonna be similar. I mean, it, it's not gonna disappear off the face of the earth. It's something we're gonna to have to deal with for the rest of our lives. And um, so uh, hopefully a vaccine or vaccines will be developed that will help. But we also know that we have people who will not get vaccinated. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, people are gonna to continue to get sick from it. But I think that the pandemic issue uh, I think it's with us until we get a good vaccine and we get good uptake of that vaccine. Um, I think that that's, that's the future uh, until that time. I saw somebody the other day uh, post, it was a tweet maybe like, wow, I remember back in March, like 12 years ago. And uh, it, it seems like this has really been forever. Uh, and I say that to the the two top public health experts in the county and city here who, uh, of course, it's been here a while and it seems like it's been a long time. And now, Scott, you say, well, at least till next spring before there's a vaccine and who knows how long after that before it's effective and we we get better coverage of immunity in our uh, in our community. Um, but and you know, Jody, with the vaccine, I mean, the ones I'm hearing about last night or last night, uh, mostly are, um, uh, are, are a series of two doses. So you, you'll get decent coverage with one dose, but you're not going to be really covered as well as you'd want to be. And, uh, you know, our experience with that is that a lot of times people will come and get a first dose and not come back for the second dose. So that's going to be another issue with the coverage for this vaccine. It's going to be an issue. Uh, <clears throat> I'm going back to late March, stay-at-home order on the 25th, and I think it was about three or four days later, um, we realized here in our home that we were out of Diet Coke. Oh my gosh, the drama. Well, and, and I, I'm, I'm using this now because I've been thinking about this for a while and it seemed kind of funny and now it just seems so crazy, trivial. <laughs> but, but I had this great idea and Kelly says, well, you know, and we had just gotten a delivery of groceries, I think from Hy-Vee, you know, <clears throat> And didn't want to go out. They wanted, wanted to comply. You know, my wife is a rule keeper by default, by definition. I'm not so much. Uh, but 
I came up with this great idea. Well, we don't have to go in anywhere. Let's just drive through the county because there's got to be an outdoor vending machine somewhere that has Diet Coke. <laughs> I can tell you this because I remember growing up, you know, late 70s, 80s, even 90s, you could go there, outdoor vending machines everywhere. There are not anymore. And we left and, but, and, and Kelly says to me, well, you know, we're not supposed to go out. And I says, well, let's just be renegades, you know. <laughs> But I said, I'm going to have to ask Stephanie about this at some point because I I would deem this was medically necessary. And because I don't drink coffee, that's my caffeine. I cannot have a Diet Coke. I got one beside me here. So, but we drove through Hallsville, we drove through Centralia. I think we went up to Sturgeon. We drove all around, went to all the stores. There were no diet, there were no outdoor vending machines. We got back into Columbia, drove by on the business loop, Mosier's. That's a mile from our, where we live. We should have started there. They had outdoor vending machines. <laughs> they had a Coke machine on the east side of the building and a diet and a Pepsi machine on the west side. When you know it, the Coke machine, I don't even think it, it wasn't even plugged in. It was empty. Oh. So I had to settle for a Diet Pepsi. But, you know, we look back at that and that seems like, it was like nine or 10 years ago. It just has been, been so long. Scott, you brought up the term COVID fatigue. What's your advice, your recommendation to people who are feeling it so strongly and now they're home with their kids, maybe trying to work with themselves. Their kids are there. There's some tech problems going on maybe. Well, it's just like one thing after another. You're, you know, what do you say? Um, I say, those issues are real and the struggle is real and you know I get it I understand that what I tell myself when I really want to go do something that I know I shouldn't do like go out and eat maybe or you know uh, I love to go to St. Louis and do stuff in St. Louis St. Louis County has some of the highest numbers of cases in the entire state I, I tell myself you know you shouldn't be doing that because not only could you make yourself sick, but more importantly, you could make somebody you really care about sick and they may be vulnerable. My dad is in an assisted living center and his health is going down week by week. I've not been able to touch my dad since March. I've, I've communicated with him through a window since March. And so it's, it's extremely difficult and to be able to see him visibly deteriorate and me not be able to at least go in and hold him or talk to him face to face. It's hard. It's, it's very difficult. And I really want to go in there and talk to him, but I won't do it. And of course now they, for a long time, they were shut down, you know, they were closed off where you couldn't go in. Then for a little while, they let you go. In. And then uh, there were serious problems with a, with a um, long-term care facility in Jefferson city. So this one, which is in Callaway County, shut it, or they, they shut it down again when we can't go in. But even when we could go in, I would, because I didn't want to do anything that could make his time left on this earth even worse. So, um, so I, I think that's, it just ask people to appeal to their concern for others more than their concern for their, what they want to do themselves. And, and I don't want to say selfish desires because I don't mean selfish, but I mean, put the term or put, put the emphasis on the good of others instead of your own good and what you want yourself. 
when I think about things that way, it's a lot easier for me than, you know, to not want to go do things that I really always wanted, I enjoyed doing and I wanted to continue to, but I couldn't stand the fact that I maybe, you know, I would end up in the long run giving this to my dad and it leading to his death or mm-hmm. a, a much lower quality of life than what he always has, already has. So that would be my advice to people is think about others before you think about yourself. I, I appreciate you sharing. And I don't mean to be preaching when I say that. that's just, that's what I do. That's what helps me. Well, so. you're sharing that from your own experience. And I think, you know, you've really humanized the data. You know, it, it's so easy, I think, to see the numbers, see the dashboard, and you don't see people, you don't see lives. So Stephanie, COVID fatigue, how do you handle it for yourself, your family? Well, I, I'll tell you, the first few months was really difficult because one, we were working, Scott and I and a lot of our staff were literally working seven days a week and it wasn't uncommon to be getting rolling into bed at 11.30 midnight and up again at 5 a.m. and hitting the road. So, you know, I think we've all had to learn to step back and try to take care of ourselves a little bit, you know, and, but so like Scott talked about his dad, I had my fourth grandchild this summer, was born in July, and my daughter and son-in-law live up in Trenton, Missouri, and so they needed us to come up there to watch their son while they went to the hospital. And so I felt like all, I felt like I was saving myself just so that I could be okay to be there for my daughter. But I went a long time without, I went a long time without seeing my grandkids. I understand it, you know, and it's a good thing to have FaceTime and all those wonderful technology things. But I, I do, I, if I'm going to break out of my bubble, my, so I got my work bubble, I have my husband in my bubble at home. Mm-hmm. And if I'm going to break out of the bubble, it's going to be to see a grandchild. And yet it's going to be very, I'm keeping my distance from the older kids, but I'm getting in, uh, that's going to be who I'm going to break out of that bubble with. So, you know, it's just a matter of finding, you know, I'd love to see, I'd love to have all my friends over, but right now it's just not, it's not the right time. Yeah, I'm going to ask both of you in a minute to kind of give me a a final takeaway for for myself and for listeners and, and maybe to think about a question that I haven't asked that you would like to have asked or, uh, you know, something else that the public really needs to understand. But I wanted to try to kind of lighten the mood here a little bit. I'm going to show you this package. <clears throat> I ordered Kelly a, a Christmas gift last November. Uh, I ordered a mug that says, Be Still. It's after Psalm 4610, uh, Be Still and Know That I Am God. And it's, it's a sign, it's a, a verse, a slogan that she has in her office where she does counseling. And uh, she, anyway, so I ordered it in late, late November and we didn't get it until sometime late February. And when it arrived, I very carefully looked and it, you can, I don't know if you can see it here. It came from Wuhan. Oh yeah. And it was mailed on uh, December the 21st. So it, it came from Wuhan and by all accounts now the, the, a virus was in full swing there. Maybe had been right. a couple months. Absolutely, yeah. So we, I left it in my car. Didn't I wasn't even going to open it. And of course, I called. I went to the post office. I said, "Hey, would it?" I told him about the package. Would it be safe to open? He said, "Oh yeah, 
you know, and uh, Ellen at the post office said, yeah, just put it in your microwave for 15 seconds. <laughs> you know, that'll take care of it. Yeah. So interesting thing about two weeks ago, my neighbor across the street, Ray Janicek, uh, retired postal guy. He texts me one morning. He says, Hey, I found something in my lawn in my yard. It's addressed to you, and there's a coffee mug in it. Well, what had happened is, shame on me, I left my car unlocked. Oh. And there had been a string of car thefts, people going through cars. One car, actually, a few blocks away, was actually stolen. But somebody had gotten into the car and had opened this. So they'd already opened it, and I thought, ha, good for you. You've got COVID. I was mean, but so, but he said, I put it all together. It's back in your mailbox. So it was already open. And this was so funny to me because it's supposed to be the mug. that says, be still. Oh. Instead, it's from Hamilton. Just you wait. <laughs> and I thought, well, ironic. I did wait. <laughs> But, you know, that could be taken to mean so many different things. What was most stunning to me was that stuffed inside the mug is a KN95 mask. What? Yeah. Can you see it here? Yeah. It's got the little, it's KN95s. Anyway, this is like the real deal. And <laughs> maybe whoever stuck it in that mug was thinking, well, good luck to you. Good luck from Wuhan. I don't know. So, <laughs> just you wait. And boy, how fitting that is right now, because we're still waiting. I um, mean, we just had a little bit of a laugh here together, but we're still waiting. And so Scott, Stephanie, whichever one of you wants to kind of go first, what's the takeaway that uh, if, if somebody's listening to this or watching it and they only really hear take away one thing, what should it be? And if you can think of any other thing that you say, well, Jody, you should have asked this, mm. what would that have been? Scott, you want to start? Sure. I think my takeaway would be um, that this, these are unprecedented times. We all know that. None of us have been through this before. There is not a playbook. We're doing, everybody is doing the best they can uh, at, at, you know, at all times. And so, I think more than ever, it's important that we just allow grace to people at times, everybody, you know, we ask that we be allowed some grace and we need to allow grace to people ourselves. And so, you know, we're all in this together and, and politicizing it and polarizing it or making it, you know, polarization of it isn't helping anybody. Um, so I would say that and you know, that, that we certainly appreciate everybody's cooperation uh, is who's been helping us out. Yeah, I would have, Scott used the exact words I was thinking that we all need to show each other a little grace. I don't know. I think that for me, one of the things that's most important is we have the ability to prevent this disease, right? It's in our control. I, I mean, we can wear a mask, we can keep our distance, we should assume that everyone around us is possibly infected with COVID-19. And if you knew knowingly that the person that you were standing near was 
positive, you would take very different steps. We should just treat it, you know, don't go to work when you're sick. Don't, you know, take care of yourself, wear your mask, socially distance, wash your hands. That's all in our control. We, we can do this. Okay, thank you. I should have uh, given us a, a brief break earlier to, to let everybody know that High Neighbor is produced by J3 Content King LLC. That is my little copywriting and uh, web auditing business. And it's produced for thepandemicpress.com. And this episode is sponsored by Kelly F. Jackson Counseling at 2401 Bernadette Drive in Columbia. Kelly reminds us that we can have and find peace and sanity now. Yes, even now. And we all have different ways of finding some measure of peace and sanity during COVID-19. We are all in this together, but we don't all react the same way. Just like other profound effects on our life, a moment-to-moment -moment approach is one of the best ways to stay grounded and to feel empowered. So Kelly is asking, what are your tips and tricks to latch on to peace and sanity now? You can see her list of ideas and tips and tricks for achieving peace and sanity now at www.thepandemicpress.com. You can submit your own tips and let's grow this list together. You can also learn how you or your business can be a sponsor for High Neighbor. Drop me a line at highneighbor at thepandemicpress.com. Scott and Stephanie, we went over the time that I had uh, begged and pleaded you for, and you've been more than gracious uh, to give me your time. Great conversation. I'm sure it will continue, and I hope we can follow up, you know, even in a few weeks and have a, a much more positive outlook and be talking about post-COVID. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah. Thank you. Both. Thanks, Jody. Thanks for the opportunity. Take care. Thank you.